0: Yes, so good morning and welcome to our parishes, our communities, our regions that are joining us and our live stream that are joining us and you here get the first hand account here in Oakville. Uh, We're wrapping up our last week of our God Only Knows series and uh, I can't think of a better person than my dear brother Samuel to take us home to end in the last week for our series. And um, I'm looking forward to this. And But before we get into it, I just want to give a quick heads up on what we've got uh, for the next series coming up. It's an opportunity as we get into our uh, month of September where new rhythms or maybe old rhythms kind of get back into, uh, into practice that we as a, as a church at The Meeting House want to go back to some of the things that make us distinctively Anabaptist. So we want to spend some time uh, re our teaching around the Anabaptist tradition of a Jesus-centric centri- theology. This idea, you hear this a lot, we talk about being Jesus-centered. So we want to spend the next, uh, after this week, the next four weeks, where Carmen, Jimmy, and myself will be able to uh, to share a little bit more on what it is. And, and uh, hopefully the goal is to get a little bit of grounding of uh, who we are and, uh, and where we're headed as we become more uh, Jesus-centered in our teaching and our time. But before that, we get to see my dear brother, Samuel, who's going to be sharing with us. And I'm looking forward to this. Samuel and I had an opportunity. For those of you who don't know, Samuel is our new uh, discipleship pastor for all of our uh, communities throughout the entire Meeting House and um, is a gift to have been able to get to know. Uh, We got to have coffee earlier uh, when he first came on staff, and he doesn't know this, but after our first coffee, I said, we need to have more coffee because I'm going to spend as much time as I can with this man and glean as much wisdom and understanding uh, particularly around areas of peace and reconciliation. He's uh, someone that um, uh, has done an incredible amount of work uh, across the globe in uh, building reconciliation and bridges in healing. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from you and for you being able to teach us. And uh, and also we got to spend, I think you're going to talk about this. We'll talk but talk a little bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> the last two weeks we just came back from a, a learning trip with uh, MCC at, uh, in Timmins. And uh, we got to be not only experience that with our First Nation uh, brothers and sisters up north in Timmins, but we got to be roommates for a week. Yeah. And um, so now I think I have stories to last like the next like ten years. I think <laughs> when you spend some time with somebody with that level of intimacy, but we'll we'll save that for, another, save day. That for another day. Yeah.
1: Can we do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe let's do that. So What's we don't start right here. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, okay maybe we'll, we'll postpone. <laughs> okay. Much love to you, brother. Thank blessings. You.
1: Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. Oh, thank you. Yeah, finally, I think. I was thinking that maybe everybody's sleeping after Quincy has just gone on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I don't know what I've just done. I've started my, I'm, I'm starting on the wrong footing here. I'm starting on the wrong footing because now the next time Quincy come up the stage, he will give you all the secrets. That the one week in the same room will be spent talking about me. God forgive me. Uh, my name is Samuel Sarpia. I am the discipleship pastor for The Meeting House. The joy of being the discipleship pastor at, this, at The Meeting House, is it gives me the length and breadth of the width and the width of our church. I get to know what is happening in every single region of our church and not only get to know what is happening in every single region, but I get to participate in seeing the the different discipleship pathways that we have in the church. And I know some of you might be asking, what is discipleship pathways? Is there a roadmap somewhere that we can follow? Yes, there is a discipleship pathways happening in our church. We have the children's church, the youth and young adults, the compassion, and the home church, and the many others that are happening informally. Those are the discipleship pathways. And so when you get a discipleship pastor to preach, what is he going to preach about? About discipleship. So the title of my sermon this morning is Living as Radical Disciples. And it is taken from the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. But before I get into it, let us pray. God, we thank you that we can call ourselves children of the most high God. That we can call ourselves, that we know that we are on a journey, and on this journey it is with you, and you are the leader, you are the great shepherd that shepherds us through this journey. Although in this journey we may stumble and fall, but you, oh God, picks us up. And say, you can do it. Give us the ears and the heart and, and quicken our spirit to respond as you speak to us. Today and in the days ahead. Thank you because we ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for those of you that have watched last week's sermon that was preached for the online uh, audience... I am so glad that Jimmy kicked us off on discipleship for dummies. I remember back in the day when you could walk into a bookstore and buy a book like Microsoft for dummies, Apple for dummies, you name it. And there's even one that says Christianity for dummies. Can you believe it? I wonder what the content of that is. I actually am trying to lay my hands on it. As I, as I prepare my sermon, I realize that there's a Christianity for dummies, so I've actually ordered it just so I can see what does that really mean? And is, what, is, what does Christianity mean for dummies? So, but continuing on the theme of discipleship, I will take this up a little bit, take it up a notch a little bit from where Jimmy started last week. And I'll take it up because I will come back to the passage where Jesus was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. But before I get there, bear this in mind that Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 11 from verse 28 to 30. He calls you and I by saying, come, follow me. I cannot read on this screen because it will look like I'm turning away from the camera for those that are watching online. So I'll read on my text here. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is an invitation that Jesus invites you and I to come on this journey of discipleship. He began by, when he invites his disciples, the invitation is still an invitation that is out there to you and I and to everyone. And this invitation invites us into what we call a movement. And this movement is done when you come to Jesus, when you get yoked with Jesus. And for those of you who are wondering, what is yoke? Yoke is simply the beam that, traditionally in ancient Palestine, that connects that yoke to uh, horses or two cows together to plow the ground. And so Jesus is saying, "Take my yoke because it is light and easy." Jesus is saying, "Come on, my friends, if you hang out with me, if you." Dwell in my presence. If you just hold on to the teachings that I give you, it will be light and easy. And this journey of discipleship will not just be about a bunch of rules, do's, and don'ts, but rather it will be a stepping stone into what God has called us to be. And so in this movement, as we do go, go on this movement with Jesus, we don't only go on this movement with Jesus alone, but we go on this movement with people around us. It is interesting that when you hear people say, I am a follower of Jesus, but I'm all alone doing my own thing. I question that kind of a journey because Jesus calls us into a community. And when I say a question is, I'm not. I'm not saying it's bad in itself. There are times that you will want to be on your own to spend quality time with God. But the 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 the, the essence of Christi, of following Jesus is not me alone. But we do it in community, and so we do this following of Jesus in community because people disciple people. Amen. I'm glad that there's somebody here that's recognizing that that's doing the Pentecostal thing. When when Quincy and I went to Timmins, um, this is not in my script, by the way. We arrived Timmins on Monday. By Tuesday, I was a Pentecostal guy. <laughs> by Friday, I was already taking up offerings, so they call me tele They go, "You went from Pentecostal. From, you, you arrive anabaptist, you became Pentecostal, and end up televangelist. And so Jesus calls us. I don't know why I went there, but it's out there. So forgive me, you Pentecostal lovers there. I I have nothing against Pentecostals or televangelists. I will still remain my Anabaptist. So Jesus calls us to do life together. And in doing life together, there is often a visible outcome, a visual outcome. Because when we do life together, my life is transformed, your life is transformed, we are able then to hold each other accountable according to the words of scripture and according to our understanding of what community is. And all of this God is with us on this journey. You're not all alone. We're not all alone. I'm not all alone. And so I have been asked by a couple of people what is discipleship or who is a disciple? A disciple is a student or an apprentice or a follower of a teacher or master while this language may have have lost its meaning in our day and age but I tell you the word discipleship is about watching closely to the master it's by following closely to what the teacher is saying and in this case it's the word of God and the teachings of Jesus as well as as we live this out in community Uh, earlier in the beginning uh, when when Quincy introduced me he talked about he and I going to Timmons yet Quincy and I went to Timmins for a learning tour uh, in the indigenous community. But one of the things that I learned about the key to discipleship is I learned something great about discipleship amongst the First Nation people. The First Nation, a couple of people that spoke to us during the week, they came because First Nation communities Teach each other orally. And so the disciple and the discipler have to hang around really closely to each other. And so by hanging around closely to each other, they gain the the knowledge, they gain the heart, they gain the understanding, and they are then able to live out what God, what, what the master has taught them as they translate that to the next generation and the generation after that. A bunch of our teachers were young, most especially one of the young teachers. He's in his 20s. This is like his, he's now beginning to become his own teacher. Everything he said about smudging that he learned from his mentors. Friends, can we as followers of Jesus say I am walking really close to Jesus and what I'm learning, I am translating it to you. So in today's term, it will be like having a mentor, because the disciple learned from his master. When the disciple learned from his master, he eventually will one day become a disciple maker. Bonhoeffer described this in his book, In the Cost of Discipleship. He says, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. And for the sake of it, A man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price To buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out The eyes which causes him to stumble, It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his net and follow him. Radical discipleship is a call of Christ for which you can sell all that you have to follow him. That The disciples, if we read in the account of the calling of the disciples, when Peter and John and James and all of these young fishermen commit themselves to following Jesus, they left their net, they left everything. And follow Jesus. We are called to this kind of a radical life. And I'm not asking you to go out tomorrow after this service and say, I'm quitting my job. I'm now a disciple of Jesus. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, are you willing to let go of everything that you have for the sake of the kingdom? Because the invitation... And not just material possession. Are you willing to let go of even your own life? Because Jesus says, "Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." And by the way, the essential meaning of the word "radical" does not is not radical in itself. Comes from the root word "radicō," from Latin, and the root word simply says "root." The root, not root, the name. I know I have an accent and you guys don't. So the, radic- the word radical is simply saying going back to the roots of the teachings of Jesus. So when I speak of radical discipleship, I'm not st- speaking about some trendy extremism or some, some, some kind of like this, you know, the, our generation lives and c- come up with all kinds of coin phrases. I'm using the term as a way of reminding us to go back to what is the essence of the teaching of Jesus. Going back to the roots of the teaching of Jesus, well, it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. So I define radical discipleship, uh, radical discipleship expresses the need for a continuous reorientation towards the essential teachings of Jesus. And being bound to the root of what he told us. Inherent and foundational, fundamental to his lordship. The things that Jesus taught us. Being a radical disciple in this day and age is what we are called to. Because the fundamental core of our, of the, of our society is shaken. The fundamental things that we all know as normal is no longer normal. The world, we as followers of Jesus are swimming against the stream and you cannot swim against the stream of the world if you are not truly willing to pay the price of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is about responding to the call of God, the gracious call of God, which you are called in Christ Jesus. It is about a personal and a public witness. It is personal but it is a public witness. It is about being the lamp and Jesus being the, being the lampstand and Jesus being the light that shines through the, light, through the lampstand. You and I cannot do this on our own. We can only do it by the grace of God. And I believe that the grace of God is sufficient for us today if we can just pause and say, God, where do I need help? Radical discipleship also involves a commitment to prayer, to a prayer life, and in a community of accountability. You cannot do radical, you can't claim to be a radical disciple if you do not have a community that you are accountable to. And accountability is key in the kingdom of God. I'm accountable to my colleagues, to you as a church, and we should be accountable to each other. Because the word of God uh, is true, rang true, right through the words of the prophet Micah that says, Oh man, he has shown you what is good, what is pleasant, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus calls us into a deeper journey, in a world filled with turmoil. A world filled with brokenness. A world that is polarized, divided by those who have and those who don't. Jesus calls us to demonstrate to the world what it means to be a lampstand as Jesus shines through us. This calls for a radical way of love, it calls for a radical way of sacrifice. And that is why we read in Matthew 5, he says, You have heard it was said, love your enemies. And hate love your, sorry, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven because he causes his son to shine on, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Those are some hard truths here, friends. Love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you. As I reflect on this passage, I began to ask myself, God, are you saying I should love that neighbor that is, a, you know, back in the, when I lived in the U.S., it's easy to, to pinpoint and say it a Democrat or Republican, right? Uh, God, are you saying I should love liberal or conservative? It is tough. Those conservatives are knuckleheads. Oh, those liberals are just out of control. How can you, God, say, I should love somebody that I just absolutely disagree with? Yes, this is what God is saying. He says, love your enemies. The enemy might not be somebody that is way far out there. The enemy might be the guy next door that you absolutely disagree with. The enemy might be somebody that has posted something on social media, and it's grinding you up, and you cannot be, you, you can't just hold it. You, you can't control yourself, and Jesus is saying, I shall love love them? I believe, or I'm convinced, that when we demonstrate such a love, it will radically change the world. Do you want to see a change in the world? Love your enemies. Do you want to see change in the world? Love your enemies, because if we demonstrate to people that we absolutely disagree with, that we love them, and loving them does not mean we tolerate their behavior. Loving them does not mean we accept their continuous abuse, but we show them the love of God, because it cannot come. We cannot humanly love them, but God's spirit and power is able to give us the grace to love our enemies. Are you ready, friends? You see, this passage is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if Jesus were to pontificate this sermon in our day and age. I tell you, many a church folks will get out and walk away. They'll say he's out of his senses. Because we want a little position of comfort. We want a little space. It is my space. It is, this is my top. How dare he, she say that? But God is saying... Go in the opposite spirit. Love your enemy. But before we get lost into this loving your enemies, I look at the time, and I've only preached one tenth of my sermon. Because it will be easy to respond by saying, yeah, I love my enemies. It is easy. You might be sitting here this morning and you say, oh, yeah, listening from online. And you say, yes, I really, I do love my enemies. The truth of loving your enemies, like they said, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof of it is when you get out of church this morning. And somebody that, that, that you felt has really be, you've been held or, or somehow there's this enmity between you and him or her. If you text them and say, forgive me that is when the rubber hits the road and you're taking the bold step to live what Jesus is calling us to do. Because Jesus' comment here about loving your enemies did not just come out of the blue, Bear in mind that historically Jesus was born under the Roman Empire and being born under the Roman Empire, the Jewish community are, 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 are suffering massive oppression from the Roman Empire. And here is this young carpenter who began his teaching and he's saying, although you have been oppressed for all these years, although Rome is everywhere, they are tasking you, taxing you, they are doing everything." Impossible for you to survive. But yet I am saying, under this condition, love the Romans. Love your enemies. Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said, You will be persecuted. You will go through trials. But yet I call you, love your enemies. Fast forward. The question you might be asking is how could a God of justice, even in the midst of injustice, ask me to love my enemies? When we look at all through the account of scripture, we know clearly that everything love that Jesus all the message of love that Jesus preaches is countercultural because it is totally against what the world expects. So what is our take home? Jesus teaches us how to prevent violence by loving our enemies. And seal it off at its origin by his teaching of love for your enemies. And Jesus teaches when violence does break out, he teaches us how to use transforming initiatives He shows us how to attack and overcome the structural causes of violence and evil. When we love our enemies, I tell you, it disempowers them. When you love people that are unlovable, it disempowers them because they all of a sudden realize that there is nothing that they can say or do that will harm you because you are showing the opposite. You are expressing the love that comes from the Father through you to them. And in so doing, the tendency is the Holy Spirit can use that and convict them. Jesus is teaching his disciples to model a way of reconciliation in a community. And Jesus is teaching them how to demonstrate. And I believe Jesus is teaching us as well. So what is your take home? The take home will be loving your enemy starts in the inside. Loving your enemies begins on the inside. That's the, yes. Loving your enemies begin in the inside. It begins with you first loving yourself. It begins with you first accepting that you are human. It begins with you accepting your mortality. It begins with you of knowing that, yes, I have weaknesses, but by the grace and the strength of God, I can do this. Loving your enemies, when you you love yourself enough, you will then be able to express that love to the world around you. And when you pray for your enemies, oh boy, that's about the hardest thing to do. To get on your knees and pray for somebody that really drives you up up the wall. But when you begin to do that, the Holy Spirit works in you to change you, to mold you. And loving our enemies, seeing them as human beings in need of a Father's love. Many a war has begun by people really making caricature of the others, dehumanizing, taking away their humanity away from them. You can go from nation after nation where there's a genocide or there's some kinds of war. It has often begun with making a caricature of taking the humanity out of them, and then you are able to do whatever you want to do with them. But Jesus is saying, love your enemies by seeing them as human beings. And lastly, We love our enemies so that we might please the God who loves us. Friends, when it comes to the real world way of love, it cannot compare to the discipleship way of love. As a church, we are called and mandated to be radical. And I wrap up with, the, with, the, with a quote from Brother Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. The, disciples mo- the disciple must say to himself the same words Peter said of Christ when he denied him. I know not this man. Self-denial is never just a series of isolated acts of mortification or asceticism. It is not suicide for there is an element of self will even in that to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self to see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us once more all that self denial can say all that self denial can say is he leads the way keep close to him Jesus is inviting us to keep close to him. God bless you.
0: It's the mic drop moment. I wasn't even ready for it. I said, man, keep going. Thank you so much. Yes, an opportunity for us to pray for and to love our enemies is not an easy task. If you're anything like me, when you try and do that, the prayers get stuck somewhere in your esophagus and they don't quite come out all the way. I would encourage you, as Samuel said, let's do this together, Um, not in isolation. It's amazing the power that comes as we uh, share each other's burdens and the challenges that we have. And we want to create uh, more opportunities, as many opportunities as we can here in Oakville for us to be able to share in community. So before you go, I mentioned earlier that there's some tables set up out through these doors. Spend some time, take your time out. We've got brunch prepared. We've got brunch prepared, right? It's all right. Yeah. So uh, I'd love for you to just come out these doors, or if you have kids, grab your kids and then come. There's plenty of food and opportunity for us to have some conversation, to encourage one another, just to be in each other's space. Get to know somebody, maybe see somebody that you've never met before. Um, we're, we're a different and becoming a different community. And I think there's a, a great opportunity. If, if we're not careful, we can actually miss this opportunity for us to be able to intersect and interlock and be connected as community. So let's not miss that opportunity. And, and these, uh, these chances here this afternoon or still this, still this morning uh, are opportunities to do that. So let me bless you as we go. Um, yes, God, we say thank you and that you would uh, see each of us and bless us, that you would keep us, that you would cause your face to shine upon us and be gracious towards us. That you would turn your face towards us and give us peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.